Hello everyone, I welcome everyone for um, another exciting podcast series. So today here with us we have Alex. Hi Alex. Hello. So Alex is a, a well-known candidate in Azure MVP space. He has been uh, Azure MVP for about 10 to 13 years now. And MVP is three years. I've been in the field for 10, 13 years, yeah. Uh, okay, you're in Azure for 13 years and MVP for past three years. Yes, okay. yes. Perfect. This is my yeah. third year, yes. Great, yeah. Um, so yeah, can we understand a bit of a background about you, Alex? Sure. So I've been working in the field for 13 years. Uh, most of my work was uh, using C Sharp and TypeScript languages. I've been playing around with the Azure cloud infrastructure for maybe, I don't know, six, seven years or so. For the last three years, I was, uh, this is my third year as an Azure MVP. Yeah, mainly focusing on uh, serverless um, computing and uh, managed services in Azure. So I think you have got an um, uh, exciting session planned for us, yeah? Yeah, I hope to talk a bit about uh, everything serverless related and how we are um, using it to create microservices in today's like managed world. Okay, um, but I have one question. So Azure is so vast, right? So everyone who's dealing with Azure knows that Azure is too vast. It has got a lot of components. Why specifically serverless? For me personally, it's the ease of mind. When you go serverless, you don't really care about infrastructure too much. You just know it will be there and it will work. Of course, it's not like 100% of the times. And in a lot of cases, you do need to handle infrastructure. You do need to know what you're doing. But it's the 80-20 rule. For like 80% of the time, this 20% of work you're doing is going to be good enough. And that's it. Perfect. Yeah. So I think serverless has been uh, becoming more popular uh, day in and day out, right? So it's uh, gaining its popularity across the globe. So why do you think serverless 360 is the next big game? As I said, it's about the fact that it's super easy to start using it, but that's not the only point. After all, what really decides in today's world is basically money, right? So if you are going to convince your managers, right, your leadership in the company to switch to serverless, it should be incentivized by some budget constraints or some by budget, some logical budget uh, handling. In many cases, when you go serverless, you're actually going to save money because it can scale down to zero and not use anything while your system is offline or while you're developing it. And this going without you interfering with it, so you don't have to get like DevOps dedicated to scale down the system. So basically, yeah, budget. Budget is the key to everything. Exactly, yeah. What are the services that Azure offers in order to you know, implement the serverless architecture? Mainly, obviously, if you ever heard about serverless on Azure, the main key here is Azure Functions, right? This is like your base thing that's going to run your code in this serverless environment. But you have a lot of other tools that help you go with it. So you have your low code, no code tools like logic apps um, and many managed services in Azure that help you like gap, uh, bridge the gaps that you might have for things that you do need to deploy to your system, but it's not code related. So what is your most favorite serverless feature in Azure or most favorite uh, 
serverless component in Azure? I would say that for me, again, since Azure Functions is like the base of it, there is a very nice idea of durable functions, which is giving you the option to run more complicated scenarios and still be serverless by design. So it's topic for a whole new discussion, right? Because it's it's a bottomless pit. But that gives me the motivation usually to start go there because it's uh, it's a very elegant solution to many more complex problems that usually people tend to um, like avoid serverless because of those issues and durable functions infrastructure actually allows you to bring those people back so i don't know for me this is something that really like okay so you always vote for code-based approach there is no codeless approach for you no i wouldn't say that always but yeah mostly code mostly code yeah (laughs) okay so we have a lot of components in Azure, right? As you know, serverless itself has a lot of components, for example, functions and a lot of other stuff. How does serverless connect to one another? So you, you do have you do have the classic way of just making like, uh, you know, you have two functions and they need to call each other. So you just make a regular HTTP call, like any other service calling to any other service. Those gaps that I mentioned earlier, those are the gaps that Azure also provides you with the tools to actually solve these problems. So for instance, if you do want to have a queue of messages that you want to process, you have all the messaging ecosystem of of Azure, right? So if it's a service bus queue or an event hub, or if you're using just the queue from the storage account, uh, all of those have tools in Azure Functions so you can trigger your code based on an item in a queue and handle it accordingly. So you won't have to actually go and um, you know, make HTTP calls from one service to another and be more error prone and uh, handle like toxic messages or poisonous messages and so on. So when we talked about um, queues, uh, I don't know if this is in topic still, you mentioned about service-based queues and storage queues. Uh, can we debate a little bit on uh, which is the best and where to use uh, service-based queue and where to use the storage queues? Okay, I'll be a very good architect and I'll tell you that it depends on the situation. <laughs> there is no best like for everything. Depending on the situation, something will be better than the other. Uh, let's say if you need uh, something super simple, straight to the point, you will probably go with the storage queue. It will be more cost efficient, much simpler to use. If you need something more complex, more complex scenarios, like scaling is very important to you and you don't want to wait too much, go for more bus solutions like service bus or event hub. But I wouldn't recommend just one approach for everything. It's not, that's not the right way to do Makes it. Makes sense, yeah. So which one can handle a huge load? Uh, service bus, event hubs, or uh, uh, storage queues? All of them, but it really oh. depends on what you're looking for, right? So service bus is more, if you need more of uh, like an ordered batch of items and you want to make sure that you handle something at least once, but like it's almost exactly once. They cannot like promise you it will be only once, but if almost only once is good enough for you, I would go for service bus. If you just need to handle a lot of messages, regardless, Event Hub is your way to go. It's simpler, it's a bit faster, and you just process all the messages as, as they come in. So what are the key benefits of serverless approach and particularly considering the Azure portal? Oh, so many. As I mentioned earlier, the two main things is the scale and the budget constraints, right? So you are eventually, if, if you're not running like from like 24 seven, if you're not running heavy operations, 
probably functions gonna be the more cost efficient way to go. It will scale to what you need and it will scale down to zero if you're not using any code. And the thing I more most like about functions like in Azure specifically when you work in this ecosystem is the fact that you have a lot of uh, things that are built in, right? So let's say we talked about queues, we talked about um, service bus queues, we talked about event hub processing. You don't really have to access the event hub or the service bus to check if you have new messages. Everything is managed for you by the Azure function infrastructure. So all you need to do is to configure the proper trigger to start your code based on service bus, based on event hub, uh, based on a very specific queue or a very specific topic in your queue or whatever. But the minute you configure it and let it go and make it run, you don't have to manage anything else. You can just, uh, it's called bindings and triggers. You just bind to it and that's it. You just you don't care about configuration. You just care about actually writing code and making it happen, not the technical stuff, let's say. So you, you talked about scalability, right? And um, uh, whenever yeah. you are processing huge load, it automatically scales up and scales down. Uh, but um, I see a bit of problem here. So what about the security? Let's talk about security. Because if auto-scaling and auto-scaling up and scaling down happens, there is no specific IPs that we can uh, restrict, right? The IPs come in dynamically. So how do we handle security there? So you have two options. First of all, you can you can guard your functions using um, tools that, let's say, even if it's front door and uh, firewalls and stuff, and if you need to authenticate, so we can put authentication. If we are talking about like just making it specific IPs and stuff, you also have two options here. First of all, you can integrate it with a private virtual network. And mm -hmm. you can run your functions with a private link from a private um, endpoint in this private virtual network um, if you if you need it, right? Not everyone needs it. It's something that in most cases, I would say putting a front door uh, before your functions should be good enough. Um, using uh, some policies and protection on Azure itself should be like good for 80% of the use cases. Uh, if you do require it, Obviously, you can put it behind like a virtual network, and if it's still not enough for you, you can actually grab your function as is, just wrap it inside a container, and go back to your like you know classic solutions where you can manage everything, including infrastructure, and still use the same code and flexibility of functions. So when we talk about this uh, scaling and uh, scaling down, what about the initial point? So all serverless components, as of my knowledge, has this cold start issue, right? So yeah, yeah. can you explain, uh, let's talk to the, let's tell the audience what is a cold start issue and why it occurs and how do we handle it? Okay, sure. So nothing happens right away. Everything that you want to start, it takes time. Even if you just spin up an instance of your function, it's going to take a second to, depending on your code base, it can be even longer. If it's just a few small functions, it's going to be like a second or two seconds to start everything up. And this is called the cold start. If you are scaled to zero, now you are calling like via an HTTP endpoint your function, your code, it's going to take a while to spin everything up and get your response. Now, in again, in most cases, it's not too bad, right? Okay, so the, the first user who accesses your system, they will wait for like two seconds. Okay, it's fine. Not, not a big deal. 
but there are many cases where it is a big deal. If you want something to be uh, near real time or uh, very quick to response for any reason, right? We have a lot of systems we work on and uh, many requirements. You have here, basically you have several ways to solve this. The first, like the easiest way, in most cases, it's also a bit more expensive, but it's the easiest way to manage. It's called premium functions. It's another tier of Azure Functions where you can just say, okay, I want to be always ready with at least one or two or how many instances I want. And they're called pre-warmed instances. Mm -hmm. And then you just eliminate cold start completely unless you scale like, you know, suddenly for a very huge amount of instances, then you're still going to um, wait a bit. But uh, again, it eliminates most of the cases. The only downside here, you're actually paying for live instances that are waiting for you. So it's not so cost effective. You have other options. You have the app service plan where you manage the scaling entirely on your own. And another option, uh, again, just wrapping it in a container and using it as a function, but you manage the life cycle of the container. So you can just keep it on in the air as long as you need. Those are the official ways. There is an unofficial way, which is just creating a timer that will just log something to the system and make the function just run all the time. Yeah, exactly. So that's I think um, most of the developers do this uh, do this these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything else you would um, uh, like to talk about? So we are not at the end, so just anything else that pops up in your mind while we speak. We can talk about the other like. One of the common challenges in serverless computing, I mentioned it before about durable functions, right? So um, when we are talking about serverless compute, we are talking about basically a stateless compute. Because you are serverless and because you can scale up and down at any given moment, you don't have a reliable state in your app, like in your backend uh, service. And because you cannot rely on it, you need to store the state somewhere. So mm. what was happening before, like long, long ago, uh, when you were working in a stateless environment, you would store your state on at some storage on the side and you would fetch it whenever you need it. And it would include things that usually we would store in the memory, right? Now you have, it's not a new infrastructure. It's uh, already very seasoned, but um, what's today more popular is to just use the durable function infrastructure. It's Basically, it's just a package that you add when you're writing your code. Behind the scenes, it actually uses the storage account that comes with the Azure function. But the nice part of it is when you develop, you don't really care. You just send, like, create an activity and run it and get back the result of activity. And only small pieces of code that actually run are actually deployed and are in the air. Everything else is like the results of different runs. And if something's long running, the pieces are stored in the storage and you just fetch it behind the scenes. And it's just basically just having a state in a stateless environment, which is a bit paradoxical, but yeah, it's really good. It just works. Yeah. Serverless environment, which is inherently stateless. How does uh, Azure assist with state management? With the durable functions. Just just uh, yeah just using storage that's it it's <laughs> okay. a durable function oh. just use storage behind the scenes so the approach on how we code with functions and durable functions both are same there's no difference in how we code or how the program runs 
Yeah, there is a difference, but for you as the developer, if you don't want to understand, you don't have to. For you, it should be very similar. You either run a function, or if you are going for durable functions, you create something that's called an orchestrator that runs activities. Basically the same idea, you just have a function, you have your all your bindings and just use everything the same way, just a bit different naming and that's it. Um, the idea is that an activity is one execution unit that you just run independently of the others. And the orchestrator, when it starts different activities, it just passes the state from the storage from one activity to the other and gets the result back from the storage after the activity is done. So it's like having a state, but not really. It's just stored in the storage for you. That's it. Let's talk about, um, you know, companies adapting to these um, uh, serverless architectures. Uh, do you think we are in the serverless era now or do you st- uh, do you still think Azure itself has a uh, you know way lot of road to uh, cover in serverless? I think we're actually there. In my personal belief, unless you really really need it, I don't think that Kubernetes today, like container management systems today, is something that you should even handle. I actually have a very specific requirement to do th- to do so. Right. Recently, we had this uh, amazing offering from Azure that's uh, called Container App. Mm-hmm. which basically even if you do have a container you can run it serverlessly and it will scale to your needs and uh, you can manage it with a lot of different tools including uh, stuff like uh, having side cards and basically just everything is managed for you you don't need a kubernetes anymore and just yeah. run it as a different microservice in your system mm-hmm. uh, but from my experience when i work with different clients what I experienced is most of the customers who are de- dealing, uh, dealing with these lift and shift operations from on-prem to cloud, um, their first thing that they would uh, decide is to host the application in Kubernetes services. Why Kubernetes? Why, uh, they are just doing lift and shift operations, right? Uh, instead, they can do a complete re-architecture. They can use logic apps, functions, and other stuff and just re-architect for better performance or uh, better cost right so why they're moving ahead with uh, this kubernetes so this is the classical question of when you do finally upgrade your system do you make a revolution or an evolution that's like the classic debate right should we take everything as is with as little changes put it on the cloud and then start to evolve it piece by piece or should we just throw everything away and start over? And again, there is no right way to solve it for everyone. Every company solves it in a different way, whatever whatever works better for that specific situation. Usually companies have their own uh, either on-prem Kubernetes solution that they just deploy to the cloud and start from there. This is that's what i saw from my experience most of the companies that do like go to the clouds and digitalize their solution that's what they do Uh, in other cases i saw even one client that was working on virtual machines like they had huge servers with virtual machines with services that run on virtual machines Mm -hmm. and for them it was easier just to like wrap the service in a container and okay now it's in a container what should we do oh i heard about some kubernetes solution something and they just use it without really knowing any other solution because you know it's hard sometimes okay yeah so ignorance 
Yeah. Uh, wouldn't go as far as ignorance, but uh, uh, yeah, I would say it's just um, you cannot know everything always, and Kubernetes is uh, well established today already. So if you are uh, moving something very fragile, you want as much mm -hmm. security as you want, so you go for something that you know works 100%. And if you don't know serverless, you will be probably a bit scared from it. So from your point of view, or your best practice or suggestions when any companies decide to go serverless? So where should they get started? Um, yeah, you know, what should be their first uh, mm -hmm. plan? And, you know, uh, you can just walk us through a few steps. If any company decides to get into the serverless um, um, uh, ecosystem, uh, what are the things they should plan ahead? Uh, what are the things they should do? You know, so, so, some some steps, three to four steps. Okay, so first of all, depending on where they are coming from, if they already have a Kubernetes cluster and everything works and they decide to, okay, let's make serverless out of it. Um, the first step would be to create the same solution, but in serverless. What it means is usually just grabbing those containers and moving them to a container app solution. But that's not all, that's not everything, right? Because uh, those are just the code units. Then you probably, if you have like a Kubernetes solution or AKS, if you're on, on Azure, you're probably also have a few messaging solution deployed in your cluster. So you can start from moving those messaging solutions to the Azure native solutions, let's say Event Hub or Service Bus and so on. Uh, once you did that move as well, you also need something that will, as in many clusters, you have some reverse proxy that like, you know, a single point of entry that decides then where to navigate the request based on some parameters. So you have also managed solution for that, which is API management. Um, on Azure, which, by the way, also provides you with a serverless plan, so you will pay less if you're not using it. Those are like the first steps to do, and after that, it really depends on the actual system, because like you know, systems can be very different in their uh, solutions and their implementations. So from here, it would be very individual. So any interesting uh, uh, scenarios that you come across when you're working with your clients? Um, anything like um, uh, say for example you decide an you design an architecture and all of a sudden when you uh, when you went live or when you the UAT you realize no this is not gonna work and you all of a sudden revamp your things any any such interesting scenarios I wouldn't say that it's not gonna work I always always had this question and always made it work in serverless because I'm I'm a huge fan of serverless so I made it work um, we had a very okay. cool scenario once where it was an IoT project and the client wanted to stress test and to see if um, they did not believe me. I told them that, hey, it's going to hold, it's going to be fine. And they, no, 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 we want to stress test it. And okay. we ended up uh, sending about 300,000 messages, I think, every second to a serverless solution. And mm -hmm. our most, like, the longest time it took to handle a message was two seconds. 
it's like well, and everything worked oh. it was very very expensive because <laughs> you had to yeah um you had to scale those huge number of instances and uh, a lot of data on the iot hub that was like passed but um yeah it was holding up very very well and uh worked great eventually so uh since you always make the serverless uh, stuff work um, what would be your suggestion for someone who is looking to grow their career in uh, serverless or in Azure? Just start using it. Like even even if you fail, if you even if something doesn't work for you, just keep going. I don't know. Fail, get up, and keep moving again, and try again. It's like just like in any any yeah. in any other tech industry or in any other tech thingy. If something doesn't work, doesn't mean you failed. It means that it doesn't work now, and it will work in in yeah. a minute, in a two. Just keep going. That's it. Okay, so you work microservices, yeah, exactly. So you work only with um, Azure, or do you work with any other cloud platforms? Uh, I had the opportunity to also work with uh, AWS. Also, mm-hmm. uh, we had their uh, container deployed serverlessly and uh, with scales and everything. Um, I, I'm super biased here, right? Because I'm like Microsoft Azure MVP, but I don't know. I had a lot, much more fun on Azure. Maybe I'm used to it. Maybe um, more experience in it. I don't know, but um, I tried AWS, and uh, it's also it has very similar tools, but uh, quite different. The usability-wise, you think Azure stands tall? Um, again, I'm biased, but yes. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.